I'm glad you have the Fernando Rodney hat tilt going on. Absolutely. <laughs> Best Padre up to last week. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's not saying much because, you know, the Padres. Right. Not that I should uh, be <laughs> commenting on baseball teams. You are listening to Expert Citation, Episode 1. Biology, bats, and big sexy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the very first, I guess it is actually the first episode of Expert Citation. This is a science podcast where me and a couple of friends who will be introduced in just a moment sit down and talk about some of the latest and greatest question mark science to come out of some of the greatest universities in the world, because that's how science works. Uh, if you've ever been in a journal club in college, that's basically what this is. Uh, so joining me, uh, as you will come to know them, are Kelsey McCoy. Uh, hi. And Tyler Birch. Hello. So really quick background on me. Uh, I'm Jose Cuevas, uh, Joe Cuevas. I am the de facto host, I guess, of the show. Uh, I am currently an undergraduate at the University of San Diego studying marine biology because I was told I could follow my dreams. Even though I'm an, I'm an undergrad, I do have a paper out, and I'm working on another. So we'll see where science takes me, I guess. Uh, Kelsey? Yeah, I'm a graduate student. I'm working on my PhD in biology at Columbia University. Um, I work on biophysics. I look at the cytoskeleton in bacteria using big-ass magnets, because that seems fun. Um <laughs> So yeah, I'm currently in my second year, finishing up my second year of my PhD. And Tyler. Yeah, um, I am a, a second year grad student as well, uh, working on a PhD in uh, particle physics. I just uh, started up doing research with uh, ATLAS, which is a detector on the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Switzerland. Um, started that last year, uh, so I'm starting basically my second year of research with that. All right. Yeah. So fun stuff. Fun stuff. We actually do science, guys. It's most fun. days. We are mildly uh, credible. So, uh, so speaking, uh, speaking of actually doing science, how, how have your weeks been going? Uh, let's start with Tyler because we're going reverse order now. Uh, my week has been uh, not as productive as most um, due to holidays. Um, I went ahead and went home for that. So. I was kind of away from work for a couple of days, which was nice um, and, and reinvigorating, but getting back into it yesterday and today was, was pretty rough. Um, but yeah, um, not really any specifics. I've been tooling around with different uh, fits on some plots that I've been making. And it turns out that uh, working on fits and root, which is the, uh, the software that we use for particle physics, is not exactly the easiest. Um, it kind of rides the line between uh, science and an art at, at points because you have to figure out all these different uh you know base input parameters and all these other things that are gonna make it work out just right so you get just the right fit um, are you are you trying for like a ease of uh, like an aesthetic ease or something that looks good for publication or 
so so the long something story that lets short, you see what you need the long the story short is that i'm making um resolution plots right now sure um and initially the the idea was to do uh full width at half maximum of a gaussian distribution um and then we realized that um that doesn't exactly work perfectly with what data we have um so what we're doing now is fitting it with a double Gaussian function um, and taking the width of the, the core of the inside Gaussian to see, you know, um, the resolution based on that. And hopefully that pans out to be better, um, a, a more instructive uh, resolution plot, basically. So you're trying to resolve, okay. like, peaks? Like, uh, set, get peak separation, that type of thing? or? Uh, yeah, basically, okay. more or less. I have some experience with that. I've done that. It's never yeah, fun. It's, it's a pain, um, especially when there's uh, marginal non-Gaussian effects that are messing things up pretty well. So. But you're chugging along. Yeah, yeah, chugging along. Chugging along. Cool. Kelsey, how's your week been going? Um, yeah, my week's been all right. I'm kind of, so I've got sort of two aspects of my project, and one of them is kind of stalled out right now. I'm waiting to get, I had to order my plasmid from GeneWiz, so kind of waiting for them to make it. But the other the other part of it, I'm uh, sort of getting going on some proof of concept experiments. So that's been nice because it's actually, we've been making some progress, sort of been stalled out in a holding pattern for a while, trying to resolve some issues with uptake of our compounds into the cells, but... We've got we've got a plan now, and we have spectrometer time next week. So you know, here's hoping it actually works this time. It's going, and you have access to some important equipment. So yeah, yeah, we the probe on our spectrometer is not broken. <laughs> we have this problem it's where it's amazing how we have this problem where as soon as we get um instrument time our sam we can't get our sample prep to work and as soon as we have samples like we get our sample prep working then the instrument craps out guess we have to send you back to germany <laughs> three months later it's amazing how much it's amazing how much science you can get done when instruments actually decide to work though. oh yeah it's very productive when it does work it's just getting it to actually work <laughs> yeah yeah fancier the exper the instrument the more likely it is to crap out on you yeah, like uh, like how sm how an small animals get trapped in the LHC and bat disease <laughs> work, right, Tyler? Yeah, that one. Uh, I was just about to say something about that. Saw it coming. Just shuts it down for like a week or whatever. But, yeah. You know, just a week. The most expensive experiment out there. No big deal. Yeah, we don't have that problem. So it's a really sensitive piece of instrumentation. Literal <laughs> animals get stuck in it. Shut it down. Cutting edge science. Uh, I've been stuck in the writing phase for a while, uh, but I got feedback from uh, from one of my co-authors. So I guess what I need to do is go back to the library and find sources for the thing I'm doing. Ah, so that's fun. Good old fashioned literature search. Yeah. No, but it's uh, it's important because it's going to help me understand what I'm actually talking about in the paper better. It's just tedious. Oh, yeah. It's like the most helpful thing you can do, but it's also the most annoying. Yeah. No, definitely. Because it's like, 
oh, I actually understand everything now. Why didn't I do this earlier? Oh, right. Because I'm bored now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, looks like we've uh, looks like we're all moving forward in uh, in advancing knowledge. Question mark. Sure, we can. Call that. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, this week we this week is actually uh, when we're recording this. We are a couple days before the 2016 Major League Baseball All Star Game. You can't see this, but we're all wearing baseball caps. But uh, this week's this week we're going to be talking about baseball. There's a lot of interesting research done on baseball, actually, because uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of in- interesting th- stuff going on physiologically. Uh, baseball players also play so many games that uh, data from baseball statistics can actually be statistically significant and tell us some pretty cool things about the game. Yeah, there's there's a whole branch of research, you know, from baseball statistics called sabermetrics, which is derived from SABR, the Society of American Baseball Research, um, which is interesting in and of itself. But, you know, the article we're looking at right now is uh, it's more on the, the science side of things rather than the statistics side of things. Yeah, it's a little harder. Yeah. Um, it's also from Japan, where baseball is also massive. Japan has its own baseball league called the NPB uh, for Nippon Professional Baseball. And they are also good. Some NPB players have gone stateside. Uh, notable, uh, notable players include Ichiro Suzuki, who you may know, currently on the Mariners, formerly from the Seattle... No, wait, no. Currently on the Marlins. Yeah, I was about to I, say, he used to be of the Mariners. He's currently on the Marlins. He used to be of the Mariners, currently on the Marlins. Kenta Maeda, uh, they also have a two-league system. Uh, and they also have a team called the Giants, so it's close enough. Uh, they're also baseball crazy. So this week we're doing an article that was published in PLOS One. PLOS One is the leading open access scientific journal. Uh, Originally, PLOS stood for Public Library of Science, but now it just stands for PLOS. So PLOS One is the leading open access journal, which means anyone with an internet connection can access it. Yeah, so this was published in February 5th, uh, 2016 in PLOS One. Uh, The title of the article is Contribution of Visual Information About Ball Trajectory to Baseball Hitting Accuracy by Higuchi, Nagami, Nakata, Watanabe, Isaka, and Kanosue. But these are these are Japanese researchers uh, from a variety of Japanese institutions. Waseda has a few researchers on my project, um, but the others I'm unfamiliar with as well. Yeah. The way I parsed this was it's about a hitter uh, in baseball using what they can see of the pitch to help them hit the ball. Did I parse that correctly? Yeah, more yeah. Or yeah, about... More or less. Uh, they, they restrict vision, it seemed like, over um, 150, it was 150 milliseconds from the release and 150 from home sure. plate. Um, and then saw the effects of the Yeah, pitch. so how much of the pitch do you have to see and at what point do you have to see it to be able to accurately guess its trajectory well enough to be able to actually hit the ball? Which is a pretty cool thing because different pitches... Can have uh, are are very different are very useful in different ways. Let's say that's the whole point of a breaking ball, right? Is that you get yeah. the get the yeah. pitch or the batter to think that it's one pitch and commit to commit to it and then have it move. Yeah, it's also why different pitchers have different pitches at their command, and not every pitch is going to be your pitch if you're a hitter. So it's also useful to know when not to swing at something. Uh, I also I also really like uh, this is a. Totally distracted side note here, but uh, 
on the subject areas section of this, which PLOS One is using to catalog it, uh, it includes bats, bat flight, and flight biology, all of which are correct uses of those words, but... I feel like there's some uh, bat researchers who are very confused on their, 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 their keyword searches. I didn't even pick up on that. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if it gives you more citations. But would it get you more right? citations? It does have baseball in the title, so you just like ignore it when you... You never in know. Gucci et al. 2016, they found that... I, I feel like whoever cataloged this did not look very closely at what was actually going on in these categories. It was probably a computer that cataloged it and just looked for keywords and stopped yeah, it back. so it saw bat and flight and was like, I can do three different categories with this. So yeah, the, uh, the big part of this paper is about how you can interpret the pitch and use that to your advantage for your offense. Uh, how do you guys want to break this down? Do you want to do section by section or? Yeah, I think section by section is probably a solid way to do it. Yeah, this, yeah. Does, this paper does have a fairly logical flow reading through it. So Yeah, that's that's one thing I did appreciate about it. Uh, it, even, it even did a really good job of explaining baseball if you don't necessarily know how baseball works. I question why you're reading this paper if you don't know how baseball works, but fair point. <laughs> It's a really interesting biomechanical thing, too. Yeah, yeah. Just that that's not necessarily how the human body works. Uh, and you've got this extension of yourself involved in the thing, and I'm miming on an audio podcast, so <laughs> it's not that helpful. But you've got this extension of your body, and it's not necessarily something that's intuitive to work with if you haven't played this game since you were a literal child and haven't been good at this game since you were a literal child. I, I really appreciate that the introduction gives a really good overview of this is how baseball works, and this is why hitting is hard, and this is why not everyone is a professional athlete. Yeah, there was a line in there about, you know, how you're considered an elite uh, hitter if you hit, you know, if you have a batting average over, you know, 300, which I mean, I know, but it was, it just sort of really struck home that, yeah, it's really hard. You fail 70% of the time, and you're elite. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So that's why we're stuck in science. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, our uh, professional sports careers. I mean, you did Anna. try to be a third baseman, didn't you, Tyler? Yeah, up till I was like seven. Yeah, it was about right. Then I realized I can't sports. Oh my god, did so. I sports the most out of any of us? I played until tenth grade. Probably. Yep, you definitely did. Yeah, you can also tell that this was uh, this was written uh, in Japan because it says seventy miles an hour for for their ball. I mean, yeah, but it was also college players yeah. that they were testing. Yeah. Sure, so. sure, but at the same time, the NPB does pitch slightly slower than yeah. the MLB. I mean, 70 and 90. Right, 90 was yeah. the fastball. It's an issue that comes across when you do have players coming over. Like, that's something that a lot of people were concerned about with Kenta Maeda this, uh, this season going from the Toyo Carp to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they were like, oh, he's a pitcher. Is he going to be p able to pitch at MLB speeds? And then... He did. So, so how did you guys feel about their hypothesis? Did, uh, did you think it was an intuitive guess, or did you think that uh, would you have expected the same things? For reference, they hypothesized that longer visible time improves hitting accuracy, except visual infor information about the 150 millisecond period before ball bat contact. 
Um, which the the beginning of that I thought was okay. Yeah, obviously, longer visible time gives you more time to recognize the pitch. Right. You know. You um, know more information for longer. Right. But the the latter part of that, the 150 millisecond before ball back contact. Um, after reading the paper made sense, but before reading the paper, I wouldn't have expected just because like those little league experiences, you watch the ball all the way. Yeah. Up, you know? I mean, I feel um, like it, 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 to me, it was pretty like self-evident. Um, just in both, yeah. both the way that, you know, you do have to commit to the, you have to start swinging before the pitch gets to the plate. Otherwise you're not going to hit it. Sure. Um, and then also mm-hmm. just in the way that, like, if you read anything about how baseball players, like, think about hitting, it's it's a lot of it is about seeing the laces of the ball as it comes out of the pitcher's hand and, like, using that to predict what pitch they're throwing and where it's going to be. So. Yeah. Like, certainly you would have had to have commit far before 150 milliseconds to both if you're swinging or not and a location. So yeah, certainly it makes sense. It's just something that I wouldn't have off the cuff mentioned. That's fair. Um, Yeah. That, that window is really the oddball in the hypothesis. It's not because yes, you, you know, this for longer. Okay. You can hit it better, but that 150 milliseconds. I mean, it's the last third of the pitch, you know, of the time it takes for the pitch to reach the plate. So, I don't know. I guess it made sense to me, but... So, yeah, pretty good introduction so. overall. Did a good job of, of reviewing why this was interesting, how baseball works, and what their hypothesis is. Let's move on to the methods, I guess? Oh, one more thing about the introduction. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought it was interesting that they shouted out cricket, and, you know, studies done on similar topics in, in cricket, just because it, 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 it... I thought it was a nice addition to not just... To, to yeah, sort of no, have the it, overview of the field, but have it not be so narrowly focused in just baseball. I mean, they're both they're both natural evolutions of a ball and stick game, where you have an object and you're hitting a ball with this object. Uh, especially like with cricket, where you're where you're bowling towards the cricket bat, and I don't actually know how cricket works. No one I just knows know how cricket works. Through, uh, I just know this through my Pakistani friend. <laughs> So, but uh, what I do know about cricket is they're both, cricket and baseball are both natural evolutions of the ball and bat game. So, theoretically, what works in cricket should work to some effect in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's the same basic idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think if this paper would have come out of a U.S. university, you wouldn't have seen that reference. Um, Absolutely. Would have been my guess. I did just Google it uh, to see how it translated. Uh, the the fastest recorded cricket delivery is 100.2 miles per hour, so it is about the same yeah. um, ballpark, if you will, uh, <laughs> of velocities. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it makes sense. It's it, I, I I agree. That is a very useful note. Um, yeah. And we could do an entire we could do an entire thing on the evolution of sports, but we won't. Uh, <laughs> Materials and methods. Because they're using people, they had to go through ethics. Anyone have to go through this? I, I don't. No, I had to take there. a research ethics class for that because of NIH funding, but I don't actually do human subject research, so. Yeah. 
I think I might have to in the upcoming year because I'm switching grants, but um, I have not yet, except for, you know, like Title IX training, but not specifically ethics for, you know, human research because I work on a computer all day, so. Which also calls into question why you had to do Title IX, but... Uh, well, they were afraid I was going to discriminate against uh, the code, probably. <laughs> because you don't, uh, you don't respect the code's gender identity? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Discrimination training for a person who doesn't interact with other people. <laughs> there, there's, there's comedy in that. Real life is actually Ah, uh, bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. I made a tweet about that. Yeah. Perfect time to plug my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> At Tyler J. Birch. <laughs> Accurate. That's, that's what it is. No, but yeah, because they had to use people, because they were using actual people, they had to go through uh, through an ethics review, which is fine. Standard operating procedure. I was actually a little bit Moving not curious in. about the obvious reasons they had to do, do IRB approval but there was a couple of points in the methods where they note like we did it this way because we were afraid or to minimize harm or minimize injury if they got hit with the ball and i was like i was genuinely curious if that was an irb stipulation just because a couple of the choices i was like but why would you do that and also i don't think they're they're gonna get hit but you know yeah, this seems significantly less intensive than college baseball batting practice. Yeah, I mean they're using a, like significantly a pitching machine. <laughs> less intensive than college baseball batting pra- practice. I thought it was yeah, I thought the safety concerns were a little bit overdone, but I do understand that like it's science and you have to cover all your <laughs> cover all your bases. Huh. Well, it turns out that <laughs> uh, a large number of our idioms are sports related. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. You don't realize it yep. until they're halfway out of your mouth, and it's like, oh. So, uh, because this was a university study, they recruited college students. Uh, they were collegiate baseball players, uh, and they got five righties and five lefties, which is useful. They were an average of 20.2, plus or minus 1.1 years old. 1.78, plus or minus 0.05 meters tall. <laughs> and 76.3, plus or minus 6.6 kilograms in mass. I feel like I know more about these baseball players than I do, like, my own weight. And, and uh, just for the record, that was mean and standard deviation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the mean length of their baseball experience. 11, plus or minus 1.2 years, with a range of 9 to 13. So they've only been playing baseball for, like, half their life. There's a very good chance that some of them started after Tyler was scared away from being a third yeah. baseman. probably most of them. Yeah. That's just, it made me curious... About like if that's no. just a, if that's representational of baseball players in Japan, just versus like in the U.S. where you know kids start playing super young if if it's a little bit older when you start in Japan, just because it was so sure. consistent across this small sample. I think I think part of that is like cultural attitudes in Japan about the thing, because like baseball is a very big sport in Japan. Oh yeah, obviously. States, I just was curious, you know. I mean, just because if, you know, this were done at an American university, then everybody would have started playing when they were five. Um, that's all. I was just an interesting note. <laughs> I was a little bit curious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, it, it's, it, it's a very interesting note. I agree. Yeah. Participants uh, performed the experiment in one day and were expect- and instructed to eat and drink normally on the day of and one day before 
the experiment because we yeah. don't want you to get dehydrated. This seems like an IRB stipulation. Well, that's also about reaction time. Sleep normally the night before. That also sounds like an IRB stipulation. You're literally testing reaction time. You don't want them to be like sure. hungover sure. and not having slept. Uh, like Kelsey said, they used a pitching machine instead of a collegiate pitcher. I understand why, because uh, that ruins a lot of the variance that you would have from a real pitcher. But <laughs> Yeah, it's more controllable, but I think it also is maybe a little bit then more predictable yeah. for the hitters, you know? Uh, yeah. So much more consistency from using a machine over a person, I, I would assume. Which is, yeah, sense. no, it's definitely something you want for experimental design purposes. It'll ruin, uh, it'll, sorry, not ruin, it'll uh, eliminate noise and eliminate, eliminate variability. But that's not how you play baseball. It was the same, like, they used um, polyurethane yeah. balls. And, you know, I'm sure part of that it was just the machine and part of it was to reduce the risk of injury if hit yes. by a pitch. And I question that a little bit in terms of design just because a lot of it is about being able to see the laces of a ball as it's pitched. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, is that something you could do on a polyurethane ball? Like, it do, how does it look? You could probably approximate it. I, I'm sure you could approximate it, but yeah. You would need to adapt that behavior on the fly. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like, high-level baseball players have seen a million pitches from pitching machines, you know? So yeah. there's that. I just said I would just question anything that moves the experiment away from game conditions. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. do it during a game, and it makes sense why they're doing it without a real pitcher, but then, like, at least use actual baseballs. Yeah, like, yes, I understand that you're eliminating noise, but at what point does this not become baseball? Yeah. And I still think this is a fair approximation of how hitters do this. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think these are reasonable concerns uh, as far as you're trying to replicate game conditions, but you're not actually replicating game conditions. Yeah. I f- it's like a sacrifice between controllability and relevance. It's yes. a trade-off in any sort of experiment. You know, we deal with this all the time in my work. You know, biological relevance versus something that we can actually do. Participants were given the choice of four types of wooden bats with consistent lengths of 840 millimeters. For Americans, that is roughly 33 inches. 33.01. And uh, and a mass of 900 grams or 31.75 ounces. Uh, Participants wore a visual occlusion liquid crystal apparatus by Plato Translucent Technologies. The timing of visual occlusion was controlled by a software program which initiated occlusion at the same at the chosen time after a launched pitch caused a trigger signal to be sent from the photo sensing diode mounted on the pitching machine's ball release point. So I'm I, like I'm picturing this as them like the batter like wearing goggles that just like yeah you it's know kind of like an Oculus Rift uh, type deal. yeah um, I know we can't uh, you know this is an audio podcast but here is uh, I looked it up so you guys can check it out that's what it looks like uh, I can I can plug that in the show notes. Yeah, uh, I'll send you the link afterwards. But yeah, it's like so, an Oculus Rift, but like blinders instead of, you know, actual VR or whatever. They kind of look like just really ugly 3D glasses. Can oh, they're the ugliest. No, you can't until they... So at some point they're going to turn off and it'll either... I didn't look too much into it, but that's when it like basically lets you see after... It, it turns on and off, basically. That'll also control the amount of time they are actually seeing the ball then. Yeah. Which is useful for controlling the experiment, but that's not how baseball works. 
Well, that's that's the whole premise of the experiment is limiting sure. how much time they can see the ball and how their accuracy is. So that's that's like the crux of the experiment, being able to accurately trigger that, trigger that at 150 milliseconds after release and 150 milliseconds before it comes to the plate. Yeah. So. The next subsection is procedure. After sufficient warm-up and practicing, participants completed five hits off a batting tee. Sorry, what? Off a batting tee? This was oh, to measure bat to, swing uh, speed. Bat, bat swing speed. I'm like, this is not what I remember from when I was reading this earlier. Okay, so bat swing speed. Uh, two sets of 36 hits from the pitching machine. One of two ball speed settings was used through the first set. The other speed setting used for the second set. Slow ball was 71.8 miles an hour. Fastball was 90.7 miles an hour, uh, as Kelsey said earlier. Uh, the order of the two spe- speed settings was randomized for each participant and counterbalanced across across all participants. Okay, so there is still that element of get of uh, having to guess the pitch, but well, yeah. yeah, they pretty much just keep it to fastballs, don't they? Well, fast or slow, A or B. Yeah, there's not like fastball or slower fastball. There's not going to be a sinker or a curveball thrown in. Yeah, you don't have it's, to worry about the yeah. knuckleball coming across the plate. Right. I'm wondering if they said that beforehand. I believe they did. I think that's what I read, is that they filled them in on all of the details of the experiment. Okay, because I feel like that does prime them differently for how they're going to prepare to bat. Yeah, but in, in terms of most IRBs, like, if the you can't, unless it's really going to change your experiment and it's really important, you can't withhold information about yeah. the experiment. I understand. So. It totally makes sense uh, from an ethics standpoint. That changes state of some slight state of mind, and I don't think it. But I don't think it impacted the experiment that much. But, but, but batting is mental. Like you know, how, a lot of it is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's. I think it's interesting. Here's a bunch of technical information about the pitches. Pitches themselves. Participants were not aware of the occlusion to be performed. The expected arrival time of the ball at home plate was determined before the study began by using a photosensing diode, which detects ball release, and a sound to electrical transducer unit which detects the sound of a ball hitting an object located on home plate. I'm curious. So they did the, they had like three conditions, right? So no occlusion. We saw the entire pitch, the first occlusion of the first third of the pitch, and then a last third of the pitch. I would have been interested to see the middle third. Like, like, cause it, you know, (laughs) they end up concluding that like, you know, that, that, or they hypothesize at least they haven't gotten to the conclusions. I don't want to spoil the paper. Um, that <laughs> um, that the that last third. Spoilers: the Cubs don't make it to the World Series. <laughs> Spoilers: the Mets lose. <laughs> oh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So, that, so they hypothesize that the last third of the pitch isn't important, or as important as the first third in terms of what you can see. If you're going to split it into thirds, then why only test? Two yeah. So thirds? I was c- curious, like, because I would think then that maybe there's important information that's happening in that middle third. I don't know if that was a technical like it could issue. Also, be or... slightly jarring where it could be jarring where like no, because they also did the other. I, I was saying it could be jarring if uh, if you could see it, then you couldn't see it, then you could see it again. But that sort of happens where you can see it and then they obscure the last third, right? Yeah, I mean, I just just be curious. I'm curious about it, and I'm curious about why they didn't do it. If that was like a technical issue, or if there's some you know reason to not do it. What you're getting to are some of my, my major qualms with the paper. I was going to save those for later, but we'll, yeah, we'll save them for later. Yeah, yeah. We'll go yeah. into more detail about that. Where I can complain about things. 
Hey, look, more IRB things. Uh, to avoid participants being hit by a launched ball, balls were set to launch towards the strike zone above the outer half of the home plate away from the batter. So what that tells us is they didn't aim at those <laughs> participants. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, it also, in a way, so they, by concentrating on the outside portion of the plate, they're making it a little bit easier to hit, right? Yeah. Because you're not worried about, if you're not worried about... Uh, the ball, any given pitch moving or being inside versus outside, you know, that does make it a little bit easier knowing kind of where it's going to be, even though they do vary it like laterally yes. um, or vert- up and down, I guess. Um, it's vertically. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that's probably useful though. Cause like the, the premise that we get to um, what we're, what we're searching for is the distance from the sweet spot, which they define. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's on the inside of a plate, there's no way for them to get to that sweet spot. They'd have to like physically right. back up to swing. No, you just swing. You just swing early. That's why you pull it to the left. You know, if you're a right-handed hitter, you just yeah. it, you just have to swing through it earlier. Yeah. They also used cameras because cameras are useful. Turns out, yeah. High-speed cameras are using a lot of things. I really, I actually really like high-speed camera studies. It's not something that's perceptible to the human eye necessarily. Because we only uh, move slightly faster than cinematic speed, as far as our eyes go, frames per second wise. You, if you tried hard enough, you could make a camera in the eighties that yeah. uh, it's about that exceeded 60. the human FPS. Yeah, about sixty frames per second is vision. Yeah, uh, and then data analysis, some figures about the bat relative to the plate, and impact as well. Uh, and they provide two views, which is very useful. Define their coordinate system. Because... Yay. Taylor, tell, uh, tell us about tell us about figure one. About figure one? It's, this yes. is basically where they do that. They define their coordinate system, and they utilize this bat vector, which all the things I would want to show the classes that I uh, used to teach. Um, basically, the premise is that they're moving from the sweet spot of the bat, which they define as the impact point is located between two nodal points of vibration. So the sweet spot of a bat, interesting physics. Um, is where um, you hit and there's the least amount of uh, residual vibration. So basically all the energy is going to the ball. Um, and so uh, that's towards the end. It says it has like a specific spot, 150 millimeters from the barrel end of the bat. So yeah. they define that as basically uh, zero on the bat vector. And then the distance they're looking for is uh, the radius of impact minus the radius from its sweet spot. So the distance between the two. Yeah. I also feel like this was probably the best way to distill that information. Oh yeah, it's a nice it's a, looking a figure. Beautiful figure. Yeah, they even have it relative to the to the plate. Mm-hmm. Just a classic, classic of scientific figures. Classic, go to bat. <laughs> Statistical analysis. Yeah, this is uh, yes. probably Tyler's yes. uh, bag. <laughs> Tyler, want to talk again? Uh, I mean, it was pretty much straightforward they did use this i mean they mostly just used different softwares is what it sounded like um to they, they did a lot of weird normalization things that i had to google mm-hmm. um that's fine remember the parameter that they were looking at um it's like yeah so they they tested whether uh Malchi's sphericity assumption was violated which was interesting to me and that's something i had to go and google and i should Google far more before I say Wait, so are they definitive on So it. were they asking if the ball deformed? Um, I, I don't believe that's what they were asking. They were basically It was like the how tight the distributions sure were, was, right? Like Yeah, yeah, that's basically what they're doing. 
Okay. It's it's all statistical. I I assumed based on the name and then skimmed over that part. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but it was rather interesting. But you know, it's all different statistical techniques to normalize the data and make it um, more understandable. A lot of yeah. uh, multiple I, comparison testing happening. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have too much to add that would be useful. Yeah. Good overview, though. I think that's really what we wanted. <laughs> they did some statistics. And the statistics worked. It's amazing so, how you can to some effect. make statistics work. Sure. Uh, and we, we finally got into the results section. All of that was, uh, all of that was method stuff. Uh, so ball, bat, ball swing speeds and ball arrival locations, means and standard deviations. Uh, this is sort of what Tyler was talking about with the uh, coordinate system. Uh, and then it's also on the table, table two. Yeah. Uh, ball flight duration and ball bat contact locations mean standard deviations. That's in the figure two coordinate system thing. The thing about this table is that, like, you know, just it gives, you know, means and standard deviations. And just to look at the numbers, you would not think that there was any st- significant differences. I yeah. mean, which is just the nature like of these types all... of complex systems is that they just all look very, you know, close and then you know you go and you look at the scatter plots and you go and you look at the statistics and okay now now you start to see the differences but that table is yeah. like yeah no because this is useless this is represented this is represented way better visually than it is numerically definitely when it's distilled down to this just like raw numbers it's not useful and i don't i'm not even too happy about those numbers being included really um so I figure uh, for this, we should just skip ahead to figure two. Yeah, that figure. To talk like about this part. By far. Because I feel part. like, I feel like figure two and its six panels are really the meat of the paper. Yeah, they're yeah, actually definitely. the useful results in terms of understanding what's happening. So you've got a you've got a bat with a coordinate system that they defined earlier. Uh, they've also got from above and from the side too, right? Yeah, like they did on the other figure. At least no, that's how the, I parsed it. The left is slow, the right is fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. This makes way more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, and then at the slower speeds, the data are more clustered in general than they are at higher speeds, which makes sense. Yeah. Certainly, it's easier Broadly. to slower. You have more time to react. Yeah. But yeah, and what so do the colors You mean? can see... It's... No, the colors are participants. Yeah. That's what I thought. You can sort of definitely see the shift in sort of where the bat is making contact with the ball between mm-hmm. both the slow and the fast and the three different conditions. Like you can see how the occlusion of the last third of the pitch and then no occlusion like are very similar, like very tightly grouped on the bat. Whereas like occluding the first third, you sort of have this larger spread of where the bat is making contact. Because you've got less information to go off of yeah. uh, at that point in time. Whereas, uh, oh. sorry, go ahead. Uh, what I thought was interesting is if you look at like B versus C, um, so B is the occlusion of the last, like right before it comes to the plate, mm-hmm. and C is no occlusion. There's fewer outliers on the the plot where it's occluded, like the, the there is a blind spot. Um, so there's almost a better performance by not looking at the last 150 milliseconds, which is interesting to me. It's not enough you know, statistical, uh, not I mean, to have yeah. a good enough assumption of that, but you know, it's I, I speculating think something interesting to look at. I mean, cause it's for- speculating. I would say at that point in time, they've committed to, uh, committed to what sort of hit they're going to perform and yeah. they can't really take it back because they have no further information to go off of. Right. Exactly. 
and it's like almost those last 150 might get in your head and you might change something about your swing. Yeah. Because it's hard to balk then, you know, kind of, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I have no more information. I guess I should just follow through with what I'm doing. Right. Which obviously isn't the actual uh, thought process, but in terms of this experiment, yeah. What's interesting too is you really only see that in sort of B and C, so which are the slow speed versus an E and F in the fast speed, you don't see that trend quite as much. I mean, just like eyeballing the data. So it's almost right. like you have this more, you have so much time to react on these slower pitches that maybe then you are getting in your head and trying to, you know, just not committing as much. I'd right. say in E and F, there's, there's definitely not enough evidence to say that it exists, but there's definitely also not enough to rule it out. Can neither confirm nor deny a presence of an effect. Yeah, I think that also exists for B and C. Too, yeah. So. You would, I think for, for C and F, you would want to look more at... Uh, sorry, for E and F, uh, you would want to look more at actual spread values of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's exactly like you guys have said, it's harder to just eyeball and see that. I think it'd be nice to see these distributions in some other form, um, whether it be you know a total uh, radius, a plot of total radius um, or something like that. Is now a good time to skip to figure three? Sure. So figure three is yeah. the top view, so it's where they're hitting it. I don't think it'll give us a significantly larger amount of information, but it's no. still interesting to look at. You can really see how how they did set it. They are all coming on that outside third of the plate. To the point where the plate is actually cut off. <laughs> but it is interesting to see, the, so the first three, um, A, B, and C, are the um, are the slow ball settings, and you really see the influence of a slower pitch. There's a lot of swinging yeah. happening out in front of the plate compared to the This is also making me realize ball. now that because they had the multi-camera system in slow speed, some poor person had to sit there looking at both views and coming uh, and assigning coordinates to the top view and the side view. Someone, you mean an undergrad. Frame by frame. Um. Some poor undergrad sitting there flipping through the frames. Yeah. So yeah. Some figure... I feel like this doesn't necessarily tell as much of the story as the other figure. No. But it's still interesting to see. Uh, especially because, like Kelsey said, they literally threw it all to the outside third. Yeah. If you look at the shifting means, that's, that's I feel like, the most instructive part of this. And I feel like that's actually pretty useful for these plots, maybe more so than the previous ones. Because there is more spread? Yeah. You can definitely see a trend of the slow balls. Like, it's, it's definitely a the swing is uh, more forward on the Y position, what's, what's defined as Y here. And then the fastballs is further back. And then as you, so like when they do blind them on the first 150, it's much further back. Well, we'll say much further back than the other ones. <laughs> um, whereas we're, yeah, we're not dealing forward. with long distances here, Tyler. Right, right, yeah. You know, in terms of millimeters, but it's slightly further back than the other two and that's just you know a reactionary thing because you have less time to react so you want to use as much of it as you can i guess anything else anyone has to say about this figure not really it's pretty it's a fairly self-explanatory figure figure four was also briefly talked about in the results that's mostly variability and it looks to be mostly consistent yeah oh this is bat to bat yeah i'm not sure why this is necessarily included graphically yeah, I was a little bit confused about that. Unless it was just a justification of their statistical model. Yeah. I feel like you could report that in a table, though. Yeah. Because nah. it's it, like a little that, bit nicer. 
probably supplemental material is actually probably what it is. Yeah, it'd be a decent appendix. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the discussion. Hitting accuracy of college baseball players under conditions of visual occlusion was examined to clarify the relationship between visual information and hitting accuracy. Solid first sentence. That is what uh, they did. <laughs> and then they start talking about what they did. Uh, so as some discussions go, a lot of this is rehashing what they did earlier. This time mostly with justification, though. It's a very long discussion section. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this doesn't actually necessarily need to be here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they a lot of it was either restating results and then telling us things that are sort of evident from them. I don't know. I thought it was very wordy. Looks like uh, their discussion discussion was also their conclusion. Yes, yeah. Which may have the last been part of that paragraph. In conclusion, the effect of occluding a batter's vision for various <laughs> periods of time and hitting accuracy was examined in the present study. It, it's fine with the way they wrote their paper, I guess, because this is the point in time where you would restate everything except with justification. It's just mm-hmm. it doesn't feel necessary if you've actually picked it apart to this point. I don't know. Their whole last paragraph feels like it's just there because they needed a conclusion, not because they had anything to say in the conclusion, which maybe is just what conclusions are, but regardless. Fair. But we already took out uh, took out cool points and takeaways from experimental design and results, so... Yeah. Shrug? <laughs> I don't know. I just found, I just found the discussion frustrating because I felt like they were never quite what I wanted from this paper. And this sort of gets into maybe my major critique of this paper is that it felt like it didn't have a broader purpose. I mean, I, I mean, I get that it's sure. what it what it, it is what it is. I get what it's doing, but at some point, it I just I wanted there to be some. It just felt like they looked at this thing and it was interesting. Not that there was any sort of yeah, broader like perspective can... or impact of it. And and I, so what I wanted for... because there is a lot of baseball research happening. Out yeah, there. you can also apply this to like game theory research, I guess. Yeah, and I just was like, are we going to learn something about reaction time about? visual acuity about they just how these didn't play. bother looking at what else was out there in visual acuity and how baseball players play yeah and tying it back to that they were just sort of like this is a thing we did and so and we found things that are sort of cool you know i'm you know reading their discussion for three and a half pages or whatever waiting for them to get to the this is what this means outside of this small branch of baseball research and then they never get there this is where in most papers you tie it back to the to the broader research topics and because they never like did. most papers you know are only of specific interest in the small section of your field that you're working in like that's the way it is but you usually have to at least gesture at there being some sort of broader significance you know even if it's a stretch yes. even if it's oh, I looked at this gene, and oh, the human version is involved in cancer, you know. Not that we care about that. Bat flips make this fun again, and that's why we should research bat flips. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely did not pick up on that like, on my read-through, um, and that's probably a symptom of me being in a science that's not application-based. It's all uh, curiosity-driven. Oh, how I wish sure. I were in a curiosity-driven so... field. <laughs> So yeah, that didn't stick out to me. But now that you say it, yeah, like it does seem mildly, you know, esoteric. Like, when are you going to be blinded for 150 milliseconds of your swing? Which goes back to a lot of our complaints in the methods section where, yes, this is experimental design, but there are parts of it which are also just not how you play baseball. Because mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like yeah, which even you could that... even apply it to anything about baseball, you know? Yeah, because... It... 
at the time, part of it was like, I guess this is just for experiment for experimental purposes. But by the time you got to the discussion, it's like, oh, this could be the symptom of a larger problem. Yeah, I mean, it just it felt very much like a case of science confirming what we already know anecdotally, which oftentimes yeah. has value in that, you know, you're codifying something and saying, oh, look, this, you know, here we have a study to show that this is an actual effect. But I just, I don't know, I was just like, what is the point of this paper? I don't know. Yeah. That, that was my major problem with it. That's fair. I had a, a different issue with it, and that is, again, I always come back to is, you know, I'd like to have seen more happen, but we're, we're kind of constricted by samples of using humans. I would like to have seen, you know, instead of just 150 be- uh, as it's released, 150 before it reaches. Like, you know, why did we pick those? Why didn't we do, like, 200 milliseconds? Why didn't we do 250 milliseconds? Why didn't we do the middle third? Why didn't we do all these other different ones? And obviously it's a symptom of... Yeah, but they didn't even justify tests, it. They didn't even um, say, you know... What the significance like, of I feel Like, I feel like in most was. cases, yeah. if, you, if you wrote this paper, eight times out of ten we could say, oh, that's just because these are humans and you have to treat them very gently. But this is what, going back to Kel- what Kelsey said, this is, I mean, they could have explained it to you, but then they didn't. <laughs> yeah. My, my biggest issue with that is, like, they did say, like, hey, at the 150 milliseconds before it reaches home, it yeah. doesn't really affect it that much. But is there a line where that tapers off? Or does it have a strong cutoff at 150? We don't really know, and we don't. At which point, the question drives you to find the line, but that's not. Yeah. How yeah the interesting is. question is how much of the pitch do you have to see to right. accurately predict where it's going to, where it's going to be? You know, enough to hit the ball. Yeah, and that's just not probed in this. Well, one one point of it is probed, but you know, there's so much more to look at. So uh, this is the part of the show where we go back through the paper and grade each section, and then grade the paper overall. Uh, I'm just going to skip the abstract because we didn't really talk about that. It was an abstract. (laughs) It did its job. Credits. Introduction. The introduction was good. I Uh, liked the introduction. Yeah. I'm going to give it an, uh, we're going, we're going to do standard A through, uh, A through D and an F scale. Pluses and minuses valid except for A's. Okay. Okay. Yes. Well, I can give it This just isn't one of those where like 98% and above is an A plus. Mm, Not that I don't think we're going to have that issue here. (laughs) I think I think the introduction was an A. I'll be a little more generous than Tyler. I'd give the introduction uh, an A. I thought the introduction was the best yeah. section in this paper. I agree. It did a very good job of scientifically discussing baseball. And cricket. Which isn't necessarily somebody I something that, that a lot of people can do. And I, that's also definitely why I chose to talk about this paper today. And now I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going with an A- minus just for the sake of it was a little bit wordy at points. It sure. felt like a drone dog sure. at some point. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think this was the best written paper, you know, but I thought the introduction was, was for an introduction was pretty the good. The introduction made me think there was going to be a broader yeah. rationale there. Yes, it did. <laughs> Materials and methods, holistically, because I'm not going back to each of those subsections. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, B plus, I don't have any qualms, like, big qualms with anything they did other than I'd like to have seen more uh, ranges. Yeah, I'm about the same. I had some issues with experimental design, but I'd probably give it a B. I'll agree with that. Uh, just cause... B plus for me. Because <laughs> there was some interesting in experimental design there. I thought they did a good job of making baseball clinical. 
But yeah, as yeah. I, as I asked earlier, at what point does it become this experiment and not baseball? Yeah, the redeeming factor here for me that bumped it from like a, a B minus B was the uh, their coordinate system and their. Clarity. That is a really nice figure. Figure one is so nice. You gave it points because you're a physicist. I'm giving it points for clarity, clarity from your uh, field. But we clarity can from your field. That as yes. Well, I yeah. mean, baseball is physics. Everything is physics if you <laughs> try hard enough. Yes, it is. Uh, results. I'm gonna give results a B plus because. Figure two is uh, pretty nice and really sort of figure two is, I think, the crux of the paper and it's a good figure. I'm going to give it a B because I think figure two is the crux of the paper, but there was also a lot of um, stuff that felt extraneous, even if it wasn't necessarily like it felt extraneous. That's so true. It, you mean figure four? Um. Not, not even necessarily figure four, like at a glance... <laughs> Uh, at a glance, figure three seems extraneous. Uh, it did take me, I had to look at figure three like three times before I realized what it was actually Which of. is fine. Sometimes you need to do that for a figure. But at a glance, it seemed like this wasn't necessarily telling me more than, uh, than figure two was, even though figure three is going back to that coordinate system, which was excruciatingly helpful, exceedingly uh, elucidating. It's just... At a glance, it didn't seem like it added much at the time. Yeah, I thought figure two was intuitive and, and very useful. And like figure three, on first look, I was very confused. And then I read the, uh, the, the label underneath it, and it's made sense after that. So I felt like it was also useful. Um, yeah. I overall would say probably a B plus just because of those two mm-hmm. figures. Yeah. And I think I've given this entire paper a B plus so far, so... We haven't gotten to the discussion. You tried. <laughs> discussion. Uh, okay. Okay. So discussion. Yeah. We'll just go ahead and give that a hard C minus. I'll give it a C. You passed. Good job. I will give it a C minus so it gets its uh, prereq credit, but, <laughs> you know, not by much. So uh, overall then? I mean, I think I'd, I think I'd give this paper a low B. I would agree with that. Uh, I'm not sure if it quite dips into B minus for me. Yeah. But it's definitely not a, not a stronger B paper. I'm trying to think. From a sheer paper standpoint, I'd give it a B. If you go with paper concept execution, I'd go more towards B minus. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm drawing a lot of the problems too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I tend to agree with that. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of the ideas are good, but the execution didn't necessarily land on every section. Exactly. I mean, and to, I can forgive some of the problems I have with experimental design just because there is that you you are designing an experiment and you can't control, you have to control for things. You know, you obviously it's going to deviate from in-game situations. So I can forgive some of that because that is just the nature of experimental design. But uh, some of the other issues I had I, with significance and sort of impact kind of that's something that you can at least gesture at and this paper does not do that yeah i think those are uh, both very reasonable very reasonable interpretations of this rating scale so it wasn't awful just could have been a lot better could have represented actual baseball better yeah yeah uh, there's a reason this is a plus one paper and not a nature paper um i, don't I guess think it would they be would a science paper a, not a nature paper a baseball paper in science or nature yeah, there's that. One reason I actually chose this paper was because I thought it was going to be a very interesting interface between biology and physics. 
And then they didn't talk about the biomechanics at all. Yeah, there's that failing to gesture at broader significance issue. <laughs> no, but it's interesting because PLOS One is usually so much more biology-focused, I expected them to at least touch on it, and then they didn't. Yeah, that's true. PLOS One is very biofocused. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, to the, that's why, like, the bigger categories are all about literal bats and eyes. <laughs> to be fair, this is also about literal bats, just not mammalian bats. Yeah, which is why the release image is just going to be the Louisville Bats logo. So yeah, good discussion all around. Anything anyone wants to say before we sign off? I guess uh, from here, the natural place to go is going to be All-Star Game Hopes. By the time this comes out, the All-Star Game will probably have been played. So uh, let's go with unlikely scenarios that you want to happen. I hope they both lose. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that Ichiro Suzuki participates in the Home Run Derby and wins it. Uh, I hope that Fernando Fernando Rodney gets traded from the National League team to the American League team, <laughs> and then they have to sign uh, and then they have to sign J.K. Simmons as a closer for the National League team, and then J.K. Simmons shuts out the American League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I hope that happens too. <laughs> I even am an American League fan, and I hope that happens, just because it would make the All-Star Game entertaining. Yeah, make baseball fun again. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. <laughs> uh, follow us on the socials, uh, and we're going to go in reverse order again, starting with Tyler. Uh, yeah, my, my Twitter handle, as I've already mentioned and plugged, is at Tyler J. Birch. Okay. <laughs> Um, as previously mentioned, you can find me on Tumblr at Adventures in Chemistry, um, and on Twitter at ADVS in Chem, because, you know, Twitter handles have to be short. Adventures is a long uh, word. It really is. That's, uh, that's me on social media, so. Uh, find me on the, on Twitter at Joe M. Cuevas, and then, hey, follow the show at Expert Citation, and that's on Twitter on WordPress, on the Tumblrs. We're going to be talking cool science shit on all three of those platforms. It'll be super fun. We'd love to talk to you. If you have any uh, articles you'd like to talk to us on the show about, feel free to forward them uh, to us at expertcitation at gmail.com. Find us uh, uh, at expertcitation everywhere. If you've got some cool science stuff to talk to us about, hit us up. Uh, Until next time, I'm Joe Cuevas. I'm Kelsey McCoy. I am Tyler Birch. And I think this is where it ends? Sure. All right. I'm going to stop <laughs> my recording now. We're, we're just dragging on this ending. It's awful. Yeah. Expert Citation is hosted by Joe Cuevas, Kelsey McCoy, and Tyler Birch. Expert Citation is also produced by Joe Cuevas. Our title music for this episode is Rio by Tyler Birch. Expert Citation is a production of the IamKuhan.com network. More great podcasts at IamKuhan.com.